we're still in the prologue, which runs through verse 18. Uh, they'll be putting up here verses 14 through 18, but I want us to, if I can ever get back to John, I want us to uh, read the whole thing and get the connected passage. A prologue is a vestibule. It's an introduction to the whole book of the Gospel of John. It's John's conclusion after all of his experience and the disciples' experience of Jesus. This is their summary. In the beginning was the Word, and we know from from verse 14 that the Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. It's called the Word because he is the ultimate spokesman, the ultimate the ultimate representative of the Godhead. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Don't miss that. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being. Through whom? Through the Word. Through whom? Jesus. That's startling. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Nothing. There's nothing out there that exists. Nothing tangible or even the air and all of that. There's nothing that exists that did not come into being through him. In him was life. It didn't say he had life. It says whatever has life, its source is in him. Unbelievable. The life was the light of men. If there's light and if there's a conscience, if there's something in us that says that's right, that's wrong. If there's something that gives wisdom, it all comes from him. Wow. The light shines in the darkness even today. And the darkness did not comprehend it. That's correct. Also, the same word means did not snuff it. That's my loose Translation, couldn't do it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, who many thought was the Messiah. He came for a witness that he might bear witness to the light, that all might believe through him. That was John's mission. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness to the light. That was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man who has any light. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, as emphasized again, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, referring to the Jewish people. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born, born again, not of blood or any human agency or will, not of the will of the flesh, but but of God. Now, here's our text. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. We beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's all that mean? John bore witness of him and cried out saying, This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Of his fullness, we, we believers, have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. 
No man has seen God at any time. The only beloved, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, most intimate. He has explained him. The title of this message, which you may not connect immediately with that text, is the search for meaning in all the wrong places. There was a student at Princeton University who many years ago carried a protest sign with these words. Nothing is worth dying for. I have a book that most of you know about, A Life Worth Dying For. Oh, yes. In a world without significance, where there is nothing transcendent, nothing above or beyond to give life a purpose, question is, why should we die for something that has no meaning? People today, I'm not telling you anything new. You know it all too well. People today are into drugs and alcohol and who knows what. They're taking flight from reality. You remember back in the days of the Columbine massacre, black, the goth stuff, was in fashion among youth. It was not just a fashion statement. It was a philosophical statement. There's nothing. Who gives a rip? The rock music scene with all of its raunchiness, desolate access, and animal wildness is, I believe, when you psychologically analyze it, it's little more than a form of decadent tantrum against a structured world which holds people accountable for no good purpose but the selfish convenience of parents and authority figures who control it. Several years ago, I was driving north on I-5. Anybody here a cross-stitcher? Raise your hand. I don't mean to insult you. Uh, There's a point to what I'm about to say. But as I was driving around Clackamas Town Center going north, uh, there was a car in front of me and a bumper sticker. I'm a bumper sticker watcher. They fascinate me. And I was startled because here was this lady who had a big bumper sticker. And she had the sign and said, I am a cross stitcher. Why do I mention that? Well, if I were going to put something on my bumper, which I don't do, But if I were going to, it would be some sort of insignia of what I'm all about, what I think is important. I love my dog. I love mine when it's alive. Nobody else did. I don't know why. It's the most lovable dog. You hear the laughter. Never bit anybody but those who deserved it. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love my dog, but I wouldn't put a sticker out there that says I love my dog. That's not what I'm about as much as I love my dog. The point is that people are starved for meaning and purpose today. And it amazes me sometimes what they put out in front of them that seems to say, this is what my life is about. This is where I find meaning. And if I were a cross-stitcher, I would never advertise it at that level. 
any way. That's a huge part of our culture today. People are without meaning, without significance, without purpose. And the only place, the only foundation for meaning and purpose is in the knowledge of and in alignment with Jesus Christ. And in this text, we see why. He is the all in all. He is everything. One reason I turn to the Gospel of John is because I want us all to understand Jesus better than we ever have. First of all, we see the stunning advent of the Son of God into the world. And it says, and the Word became flesh. The Son of God entered our humanity. And in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says that he became he became deity bodily in the fullness of deity. This baby born in a manger entered the world and in a mystery none of us could ever comprehend God entered the world in that baby. God became flesh. So what's all that say about meaning and purpose? It means this. It means for me that God is involved in this world and he's involved at all levels. He's involved at the individual level. He cares God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. He came to give you eternal meaning and purpose. He entered the world in his son. It says that God is not a myth. God is not dead. God is not an impersonal force who moves by mindless caprice indifferently working to the advantage of one and disadvantage to the other. God is not remote from our lives, leaving us to ourselves and the outworking, leaving the outworking of history to blind chance. Far from it. The word became flesh. God's involved in my world and God's involved in my life at every level. Whether I recognize it or not, he is there. In the words of Francis Schaeffer's first book, the late Christian philosopher of Labrie, Switzerland, he said, God is there and he is not silent. Whoever you are out there, God is there. He's not silent. He's spoken through his word. He speaks through his spirit. And he speaks through circumstances to our situation. He cares about you and he cares about who you are and where you're going. The only way you're ever going to have sustaining meaning and purpose is to get your life in alignment with him. I had an email this week uh, from a, a lady from the email, evidently not a believer. But she said that she and her partner 
sound like a code word. Uh, I'm paraphrasing this. That their life and their relationship was going south. And wanted to know desperately if I could meet with them, preferably some evening. I arranged that meeting and then they had circumstances that prevented it from coming about. But basically what she was saying is, our lives are coming apart. We have no significance, no meaning. We're desperate. We don't know what to do. One of the things I would have told them is, your life will never have meaning. It'll never have significance until your life is in alignment with the Word who became flesh. Never will. You can find the girl or the guy of your dreams. That will only last so long. That won't float your boat for long. You could win the lottery, $100 million. Most of those who ever did that soon wish they didn't. You can go out, you can get a degree from the most elite universities on earth. That'll give you some sense of elevation. won't last for long. After a while, it becomes same old, same old. You can get that dream house. A dream house is like a dream car. You're in it for a while, and then you show all your friends for six months, and then it's just a house. It won't sustain you. Whatever it is that you want, whatever your ambitions are, you can achieve it. And then it's over. Suddenly you got to have something else. There's no meaning. There's no significance to sustain you. If you're going to have meaning and significance, it's going to be found in knowing and in alignment. It's a key word. In alignment with the Son of God who became flesh and entered this world because he cares for us, because we're lost and we need redemption. We need a lot of things that only he can supply. That's the only sustaining thing there is. And if you're sitting in this room and you do not know Jesus Christ, I want to underscore that. There is no path that's going to take you to meaning and significance, to hope. You hear it all the time. People need hope. There is no hope apart from Jesus. Zero. It's just scratching around in the dirt of this planet and trying to find something. You can go out and save the whales. It won't bring you meaning and hope. You can go out and save the planet. You can stave off climate change. I won't do it for you. It won't do it at all. You can go out and bring about social justice, which a lot of people are trying to do in all the wrong ways. It won't give you meaning and purpose and won't bring it to the world. You need Jesus. You need alignment with him. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us in the flesh. Well, let's go on and take a look at that. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's part of the whole equation. But John says we, his disciples and all who believe in him. We beheld his glory. Let me explain that. 
they didn't see the glory of God as it will ultimately be manifested. So it's blinding and dazzling. Go back to Moses. I'm going back to Exodus 33 and 34. Trying to cut to the chase. Moses came to a point in his life where he's pretty desperate. He knew God, but he knew he could not accomplish his mission unless he knew God better. The people of Israel were driving him nuts, frankly. And he said to the Lord, you've got to go with me on this mission. I'm cutting to the chase and all this stuff. Lord, before I can sustain, and I know exactly what Moses is talking about. Show me your glory. Moses wanted to see God in all of his dazzling beauty. And you thought, well, hadn't he already seen that? That's what I mean. He had seen it. That didn't sustain. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to do that. And he hid him in a, he hid him in kind of a cave. And God caused his presence to go in front of Moses. It was rattling everything. But God said, I want to show you the centerpiece like the ruby in a ring. I want to show you the centerpiece of my glory. That's what you need, Moses. That's what you need and what I need. I'm going to cause all of my goodness, my glory, to pass before you. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. So then the Lord told him in chapter 34, he said to Moses as he passed by, the Lord, the Lord God. This is what John means. He is what the Lord, the Lord God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, full of loving kindness and truth. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He is a God who will know us, this is his justice, pardon the guilty unless the guilty confess him and repent, but will visit the sins upon not only the fathers, but the children and the grandchildren under the third and the fourth generations of those who persist in the sins of their fathers. Oh, that's a God of grace. That's a God of justice, a God of truth. John says, God, as Jesus showed us, we saw the glory of God in Jesus and we saw one who was full of grace and truth. You know, that's what I need. It's what this pastor needs and that's what you need. And if you're here in your life, you need grace. What is grace? Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. I want us to go to, if I can find it here, I have all these notes. I'm not paying a bit of attention to them, which you may be able to tell. <laughs> I wish I would. Here we go. Grace is that attribute of God's goodness in which he bestows upon sinners benefits they don't deserve. What the disciples saw exemplified in Jesus was the kind of grace 
for which the psalmist praised God in Psalm 103. I'm not going to read all of it. Listen to this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. When you see Jesus Christ, when you see the grace and truth that is in him, then your soul can sing this song. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. What does God do in his grace? He he pardons all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Anybody here have a sense that your life has been redeemed from the pit? Yeah, I know a lot of you because you were in the pit. And then the grace of God showed up one day when you didn't expect it. And you found out you were a sinner. You found out you were a wreck. And he crowned your life with loving kindness and compassion. He's a God who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Satisfies your ears with good things. Oh, we've got rain, 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 rain. Clouds, clouds everywhere. Ah, it's a pits. Rhetorical question. Anybody out there who knows the Lord wish you weren't you and you'd like to be somebody else? Well, I got up this morning taking a shower. Aussie mocked me and laughed at me. And I had to get out and face the mirror. And I looked at this creep and I said to Aussie, I can hardly stand to look at myself anymore. Gee whiz, is that what it's come to? I'm I'm being serious. Man, man, man. It's terrible. Terrible spectacle. For all of that, I don't want to be anybody else. Because I'm surrounded by the grace and goodness of God. I'm glad I'm who I am and who God made me. That's grace. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. All kinds of loving kindness surrounds us. All God's mercies, just kindness. Food on my table. In all this rain, roof over my head. Nice soft bed to climb into reliably in the evening. Reliable transportation. Then I've got, I've got kids and I've got grandkids. Love them all. Now, not everybody can say that, but most of us can. His loving kindness. We have them not because we deserve them. You kind of got to love this. Last Sunday, we were, Aussie told some of the women this. Last Sunday, we were down at Roseburg. That's why I wasn't here. We were sitting at dinner. One of my grands, my grandson, Chris Five, and my other little grandson. He's a, is he three yet, Christy? He's not three yet. He's two. They were sitting there. We were having dinner talk. And somebody, subject came up who was boss. 
And my little two-year-old said to his, um, to him, announced at the table, Mommy's boss. Well, he really loves his mommy. And mommy gave him a little theological question. She explained that mommy had her place in God's order in the family. Then all of a sudden he announced, I don't like God. And my Aiden, my little five-year-old, turned to him and said, if you don't like God, you're going to hell. <laughs> you got to love them. You got to love them. You just want to, you just want to, you just want to hug them. You know, <laughs> loving kindness. What a gift of God. Rain, rain, rain. What a gift of God. You know, loving kindness and compassion. I got up. I'm just showing you practical everyday illustrations that some of you know all too well. Loving kindness. I got up that morning. I promised the kids I would come down because Alex earlier in the week said to the little one, the two-year-old, said, you want to talk to Papa? He said, yes. What do you want to tell him? Get down here. <laughs> you got to love it. So we got up. I didn't have one wink of sleep. And I took off to Roseburg about half the time driving over the center line. I got there and back safely. That's loving kindness. That's mercy. That's compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. I look at our lives, bossy, and I'm sure I speak for many of you. And you would stand up here and say, God has surrounded my life with good things so that you're, I don't know that I can feel this. Your youth is renewed like an eagle. I feel more like a vulture <laughs> than an eagle. Anyway, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Aren't you thankful for his mercy? He will not always strive with us. The Lord sometimes disciplines us, but he's not on our case as he has every right to be. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. Do you think God has dealt with you like some to your iniquities, if you're honest? I don't think so. For as high as the, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. Think of your life. Whatever your sins, if you are in Christ, they're cleared. They're cleared. I don't care if you were an axe murderer. They're cleared in Christ. God has taken them all away, just as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Well, there we are. The psalmist is grateful for all of that. That's a portrait in miniature of the grace of God. That's what the disciples saw in Jesus. We saw that grace of God, for he was God in the flesh. And they saw it all the time. Grace. Grace and more grace. And then he saw something else. They saw. They saw in Jesus truth. 
Think about the world we're living in today. It's always been here, of course. Have no, but we're seeing it more and more magnified. We call it a postmodern age. People have no sense of the truth, of what truth is. They're not very good about telling the truth. They're not very good about recognizing the truth. It's as if people are in a moral fog. They've got moral vertigo. But in Jesus, the disciples encounter one who is truth personified. He's one upon whom we can run. Not only is God involved, but God is full of grace and truth. Truthfulness is a hallmark of his character. So what will that buy you on Monday morning if you're searching for meaning? It buys me everything. I don't know about you. Just a minute. It was a little bit of a mistake to take off from my notes. I'm back. I'm safe now. Never know what I'll say. The word became flesh. If God is involved, God is good. And it reassures us that goodness wins out in the end. What's that I say? In the end, we win and we win big. And God's there helping us. If God is involved and he is, God is good. It tells us that there is a moral order. There's accountability and justice that will eventually reign. Does that give you any comfort? I see a world that's just going crazy. I don't even understand how people, the general populace, can stand around and watch what we're watching and not be outraged. I I cannot comprehend it. I cannot comprehend California. Here's a guy, here's a guy, guy, who walks up and there's this beautiful Hispanic girl and he shoots her, I think, in the head for no reason. And the wonderful city or county of San Francisco, whatever it is, I think they give him a few years. Maybe he was, anybody remember, maybe the guy, I just read about it the other day, maybe the guy was acquitted. But on a weapons charge, he got about six years. The other day, they released him. If I were in California, I I almost feel like that in Oregon. I can't stand it any longer. I want out of here. It's just craziness. It's madness. But in Jesus Christ, we have truth. And we have the assurance that if there is truth, that the day's coming to an end when truth will reign. If God is involved and God is truthful, it means I can count on his promises, including his warnings. I can know up from down, which our society doesn't seem to know. If God is involved, God is truthful, and it means I can know what in the world is going on, and I can get my life in alignment with reality. It's just good to be in touch with reality, which a lot of our world isn't. And then it goes on to say here, not only that, but consider this. Of his fullness, we have all received, verse 16, 
grace for grace. What does that mean? One for one. Jesus Christ, through his spirit and his word, is working in your life and my life. If you're born again, he's working in your life to constantly be changing you. What are the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ? Love, joy, peace, kindness, all that kind of thing. He is working to match every grace that is in him to you and to build you up in that and to make you and I the kind of person that God intended for us to be. Grace for grace. Now, you and I don't always manifest all those graces in a symmetrical way, but he's doing that, working in us to match up grace for grace so that in the end, when Christ returns, that gap will be closed and we'll all be like him. First John tells us that. Grace for grace. Then John goes on to say in verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Nothing wrong with that. But what does the law primarily do? We see grace in the Old Testament, but the law of Moses primarily says, this is what God demands. And it shows me there's no way I can measure up to that law. And that condemns me, which is a necessary work. But in Jesus Christ, what we see is grace and truth is realized through him. All of those become a part of our being. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, that's Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has He has explained him. That goes... I like this translation of that word, exegema. It means he has unfolded him. Jesus Christ is the ultimate unfolding of God the Father. And only in him can you know God. It's impossible to know God any other way. If somebody out there thinks they have another path, they're very mistaken. They're not going to find God the way they're going. And the only way you're ever going to find any sustaining life and meaning, you can go to college, go down, grab a protest sign or something, and start marching in the streets. You're not going to find meaning and significance any other way than in alignment with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, most of us. We have not found perfection. We never will until he returns but we found meaning and significance and purpose. We found grace and truth, which we all need. What two things do we need other than new life? I need grace, God's grace. I need truth, the truth of God, stable truth that will not change. I need that. It's found in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's the pits. We trust in him. If you don't have him, you need to repent and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very, very much for sending your Son. The Word became flesh. God fully manifested in him. 
We thank you, our Father, that we have the privilege through the guidance of your word, which is given to us by your spirit of getting our lives in safe alignment with him so that we can have life and that more abundantly. We can know what it is to have hope, to have meaning and have purpose and not be kicking about in this direction and that all the foolishness that people are running after. New cars, new homes, new properties. Those things are not inherently bad. But if that's where we're finding our meaning and purpose, our Heavenly Father, it's so much foolishness. Help us to understand who He is and to follow after Him and to keep in alignment with Him and to know You and to know grace and to know truth. We ask it in His name. Amen.